So now the JMU women wait for their NCAA tournament pairings, destination, all that stuff. The selection show coming up Sunday. They're going to watch it. They're inviting the public to come watch at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. We'll have plenty to talk about when it comes to uh, women's basketball, NCAA tournament bound. Before we get to that, Noah and I, let's uh, let's kind of just do like a quick recap of where the spring sports stand because it's a it's a pretty successful start to spring uh, across the board for for JMU. Um, we can start with uh, lacrosse. I think you're going to go out and watch them play tomorrow on Saturday against uh, Johns Hopkins, trying to keep their Big Ten winning streak alive uh, in that one. But th- that's a top ten team now. Uh, only loss was the season opener to number one North Carolina, which they were relatively competitive in, and then they've picked up some big wins, uh, most notably against a really, really good Maryland team. Uh, they're rolling now. They're looking like the kind of team that could put a, together a deep NCAA tournament run. Yeah, this is looking like a team that you know could end up hosting an NCAA tournament game or two. I mean, based on where they are, I mean, top ten now. That's you know you're you're, you're getting there, but. Yeah, I mean, they beat number five, Maryland, which is really a defensive game. Maryland doesn't have much of an offense, but when you get down on the defensive end, they play really well. And, and JMU was able to, you know, edge them by one. And, and Cap Buchanan probably played the best game of her life. You know, 10 saves, you know, including, I think, six in the fourth quarter. So a big game from her. And, you know, JMU is rolling. That game started it. Then they took down Ohio State, won back-to-back Big Ten games. And then, you know, I think they, they had Liberty. So, I mean... I mean, they've been playing well. They got number twenty-three, Johns Hopkins, coming in. So it's a little tune-up because next weekend they'll open up American Play with Florida, who's you know, I guess the other top team in the conference. Yeah, that's probably going to turn out to be kind of. I would guess in the years to come, that'll kind of turn out to be the the rivalry for yeah. JMU and the American. Um, they've played relatively recently in the NCAA tournament a few years ago, um, so they already have a little bit of history. And I think you know those t- two programs are going to be good. They're going to be battling for NCAA tournament position against each other now <laughs> as uh, members of the American. When you look at the Jamie lacrosse team, you mentioned what they're doing on defense, and they've got a dynamic score and attack in Bella Peterson, mm-hmm. who, when you, when you can count on her to get you kind of, you can kind of count on her to get you enough goals or create enough offense when you know how good your defensive, is, defensive unit is. I mean, just to put it in perspective, They've got three players now on the Tuarton watch list, which is, you know, the, the National Player of the Year watch list. Um, and, you know, one is Bella Peterson, which you would expect just based on her career. The other two are, you know, Mary Durkin and Rachel Mady, two defensive players. Just to have any defensive players on the watch list actually being, like, in the mix for the National Player of the Year because they don't give it to defensive players. Yeah. Just the fact that they're being mentioned and there's two from the same team being mentioned just tells you – what kind of defense they're playing so far this year. Yeah, I mean, it shows that because this is a team that's, you know, played Maryland really well. They played Ohio State really well. They blew them out, I mean, at home, and, and they had a running clock for some of that game, which Ohio State's not a bad team in the Big Ten. They're not the best, but they're not a bad team in the Big Ten. So overall, I mean, it just shows, you know, how well this team is playing right now. I mean, when you look at the the watch list, I just pulled it up on my phone. Like, there's only – they only added two – defense players, you know, in this recent line of additions. And then Rachel Mady was one, and then there was a grad student from Denver. Um, another mm-hmm. was the other one. So, overall, I think, you know, it just shows how stout this defense is for JMU. And it's what leads the way. They, you know, they hang their hat on it. Shelly Clay has called them a juggernaut over the weekend, and, and I think it's true. And, uh, 
you know, if they can keep it rolling, especially that Florida game, I think is what we, you know, want to circle. If, if they can beat Florida, he is at home, so, you know, you don't have to get on a plane or anything like that. I think that shows that JMU is, like, legitimately, you know, a top 10, top 5 maybe team um, in the country. And I think, you know, that that's something they want to do. But, obviously, Johns Hopkins, you know, they just had a, a bad loss um, this past week. So they're obviously going to try to rebound, and JMU is just going to try to keep it rolling and, you know, extend this winning streak, you know, just – when you only lose to North Carolina, that's not a bad thing since Carolina is basically blowing out everyone they play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, losing to North Carolina does, is not any indicator that they can't be playing in that Final Four in the, uh, you know, at the end of May. Uh, it'll be, be very, very intriguing to see where they can kind of end up if they can keep this rolling. But, you know, all signs looking good for the JMU lacrosse team right now. Over on the Diamonds – uh, JMU softball, baseball, um, got to come home, you know, after, you know, as usual, starting on the road, uh, you know, what you do when you are in the Shenandoah Valley for the most part, although, you know, baseball came right back home after, you know, after one week, after away. One week away, played in some, uh, you know, the weather didn't end up being too bad for them. It was just it was a, a 10 game homestand. And for the most part, you know, they, got done on the field against, you know, much lesser competition than Florida State to open the season and probably lesser competition than they'll see for the most part in the Sun Belt. But they did um, <clears throat> did get it going together, rack up some wins, um, you know, kind of see what they have, I think, as um, conference season is not here yet, but, you know, it's going to be catching up to them before too long yeah this weekend's the last non-conference weekend for them they'll open with coastal carolina next weekend so obviously you know it's right around the corner um but jame you went eight and two during the 10 game homestand i think they'll take that obviously the two losses came back to back to umass lowell which they could have won both games um just didn't get enough pitching really is what happened you yeah. know, mislocated a few pitches and and umass lowell made them pay um, but other than that they rebounded really well they had back-to-back um, midweek wins over vmi and vcu this week so you know, especially in a nineteen to five game like VCU, I think you know that, that gives that can be a, a good, good you know, a little confidence boost heading into they play at USC Upstate starting today and and for the, over the weekend they'll come home or then they'll stay on the road, go to VMI and VCU this week and then uh, come back home for Coastal. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, you mentioned the midweek performances. Is that an indication of the kind of where where the pitching staff is right now that they, you know. Maybe don't have anybody dominant right now at the top of the rotation, but that they do have those guys that are going to come in, you know, midweek games, maybe they're four or five starters, can give them something where they can kind of get some wins here when they need to before before getting the conference play. Yeah, this midweek they had Jack Cohn give him a quality start on, on Tuesday. He's been like the midweek guy, two-way player, bad bats. He plays in the outfield when he's not pitching. and. And then they had um, C.J. Sarinsky, who's a long reliever. He, he started on the second midweek game, and he gave him six innings, six strikeouts. You know, his career high in innings, career high in strikeouts. And he, he pitched well. Um, and Jamie really, I think, you know, they're finding out what they've got in this bullpen. When you've got multiple midweeks, you just throw a lot of bullpen arms, see what happens. And a guy stuck out was Ryan, Ryan Schweiger, I believe that's how you say it. You know, a freshman pitcher, he, he came in and, and threw three perfect innings. Um, in his collegiate debut against VMI. So I think that was a good way to start off for him, and, and he may find his way, you know, getting into the rotation of the bullpen at least. And maybe not starting rotation, probably not, but, you know, being a guy they can call it to out of the bullpen, give him a few quality innings. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, top of the, the, the pitching rotation's kind of struggled a little bit to start. 
the three weekend starters, but the bullpens kind of backed them up and, and kept them in these games. Yeah, and you mentioned they go 8-2 and two in a 10-game homestand, which the overall record, I think they would take that out of 10 games almost any time. Probably a little bit disappointing to not get the series win against UMass Lowell. Yeah. But, but on the whole, I think probably – Probably feeling okay about where they are at this point in the season based on kind of the expectations they had to have going in. Yeah, I think they are, especially with their, their lineup. They've played from behind in almost every game. They've won a lot of them, and I think that, that just shows what this, this lineup can do. Um, Fenwick Trimble, a sophomore outfielder, leads the way. He's, he's batting like four-something. You know, he's, His on-base percentage is over 500. He, he leads the team in RBI, leads the team in runs. I mean, he's top of the conference in, in those stats, too, You know, in the top five. Um and a lot of stats in the Sun Belt so far. So he's a guy who, who he had a breakout year last year. You know, stats might not be the best last year, but his freshman year he played almost every day. This year he's playing every day and, and he's playing really well um, in the order. And he's kind of that, that that guy that just does it in the order. They needed a bat to step up after losing Chase Slaughter. And I think, you know, it's not the same pop off the bat, but it's, you know, he's got consistency of getting on base. Yeah. And it's probably worth noting, too, that you keep tossing out these names that are freshmen and sophomore. Um, so it's a young team that if they can keep the core of it together, um, you know, I don't think the expectations are that high for a debut Sunbelt season if we're, if we're being frank about it. But if it's, you can keep a core of these guys together, getting this experience and continue to improve, may, maybe the baseball program is moving in the right direction. It is. I mean, they've got a, they've got a veteran core right now. They, they came back, took the COVID year and, and, you know, it's keeping the team together, but you've got a guy like a young guy like Fenwick Trimble or, a, a, you know, a freshman Mike Mancini, who started every game so far at second base. Um, you know, those two, I think, are the future of Jamie baseball right now. And, of course, you've got the, the older guys, like, you know, the seniors like Kyle Novak and Trayvon Dabney who've been around been around for a while. But I think these younger guys that are they're getting the playing experience and, and playing well, I mean, they're doing well, doing things. Jason Tifoni is a sophomore starting catcher. Hitting-wise, not doing too great right now, but, you know, his defensive presence is, is outstanding. He's thrown out, I think, seven or eight base runners trying to steal this year, which is at the top of the conference and, and one of the top in the country right now. So I think, you know, that that's good. So you got three guys in the position players that will be here for a while, and then they'll, they'll try to, you know, reshuffle and reload. But some ball play is going to be difficult. I don't think there is a high expectation for them to, you know, win. Well, I mean, they want to win, but I don't think they're expecting to win the conference. Um, but we'll see how they do. And, Coastal Carolina is the team that, you know, lost to VCU early in the year, and then Jamie blew VCU out. So maybe it's a bad day for Coastal, or maybe they, this first series next weekend will actually be a fun thing to watch and a little way to ease their way into uh, Sunbelt Baseball that's got five teams in the top 50 right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can go to the, the neighboring diamond where uh, Jamie's softball team finally made their home debut this week. Yep. Um, took care of business in that one. I think you know you were out there. I was out there. That's yeah, true. Um, they've got some more games, weather permitting, coming up this weekend. Playing uh, one in about uh, an hour. Yeah, so people listening to this might be listening to it while that's going on. But they're after, I think, probably disappointed in their first couple games of the season. They are not. They're not the dominant team that they were a few years ago when they're going to the college world series but they are racking up a good number of wins right now and they're beating some decent if not exceptional power five programs and it's still a pretty young squad we're still kind of seeing um the first you know few steps of a rebuild after losing you know really you know generational type talent is 
softball team also feeling pretty good about where they are right now in this point of season. I, I think so. I mean, they they had a five and zero stretch um, a couple weeks ago in, in one of their tournaments. They went down to North Carolina for and at, at NC State. Um, so I think they played well. They played well this past weekend at UNC split. You know, they beat UNC twice, but lost Purdue twice. Kind of, you know, something weird. But I think they're they're okay where they're at. I mean, they won in pretty dominant fashion yesterday, six to two. I mean, Alyssa Humphrey pitched the whole way. She struggled with walks at times, but you know, still struck out eleven, struck out the final two batters with bases loaded to end the mm-hmm. game. So I think you know, it shows that this is a team that's got the talent to do it. Um, you know, as we talked about, Sun Belt baseball being a challenge. Sun Belt softball is also a pretty big challenge, and I think that. Softball may have an easier time, you know, adjusting to a new conference just because, you know, the talent mm-hmm. they have on the team and, and, you know, how softball is as a whole. But, yeah, I think I think they like where they're at right now. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you look at softball in the Sun Belt. Uh, Louisiana has obviously been a, a mid-major powerhouse, as has JMU, um, in, you know, the past decade or so. Um, I mean, I think when JMU accepted that Sun Belt invitation – I think a lot of people on the JV side were looking like, okay, now, yeah, it's going to be JMU, Louisiana for a while. But there are other good programs. But there are also, you know, we're talking about softball and baseball. Baseball, I think, has probably better depth yeah. um, in, across the conference than softball does. There, there are some not great programs in some belt softball. Um, so not to say, like, you get a week off, but, you know, you maybe have a chance to recover from a bad series or something yeah. uh, along the lines with a Sun Belt softball. But, you know, they're, they're building towards – we've mentioned this time and time again. We're only now starting to see the recruiting windfall from the College World Series appearance. You know, we're seeing the first few players that committed to them off of that, that deep run. And we're going to see more here in the next, you know, year or two uh, to add to their pitching depth and everything else. So when you take that into consideration, it seems like the young players have more or less responded pretty well to being thrown into the lineup right away. Yeah, I mean, you've got a K.K. Mathis at second base, a freshman. You think you got like Hensler being a catcher when he's a freshman. So, I mean, they've got young guys, young players playing, and they're playing really well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's, that's something to see um, moving forward. Of course, you know, they're reliant on their, their older core of players with Jasmine and Hallie Hall and Hannah Shiflett, who those three were the ones that, you know, won them the game yesterday and, you know, Lauren yeah. Laporte kind of talks about the young players were nervous to play at home for the first time. They've been on the road for the past, what, couple of weeks, so now they're at home. But, you know, the, the, that veteran core is leading the way, but the young girls are right behind them, and they're, they're playing really well right now. Yeah, I mean, but you're throwing a Jasmine Hall in there as, you know, the older players yeah. who is a sophomore who didn't even play a full season last year. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, she hasn't played a ton of games. Um to be considered one of the veterans, which I, is just, you know. But they con- look to her as that Yeah, now. continues <laughs> to, like, make the point about, you know, where they are as far as, you know, youth on that team. I think if the expectation is that they're going to, you know, win 40 out of 45 in stretches like they did when they've got, you know, multiple All-Americans who also just happen to uh, be local players and you're, <laughs> you're doing that, um, I don't think the expectation – you're not going to meet that expectations, but I do think they're probably moving like baseball moving in the right direction, probably at a, you know, better pace than baseball is moving in the right direction for honest about it. I think so. I think that's true. I think, you know, that, you know, the recent success that softball has will help recruiting. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, you'll see, I think they will be competitive this year for sure. And, you know, 
Also, if you, if you haven't been out to the new, the new renovated Veterans Memorial Park for the softball field, it's pretty nice. New press box too, Shane. You, you yeah, go, you I will get I will get in there eventually. I haven't been inside, but yeah, it looks uh, fantastic there. Um, you know, wonder when we'll see expansion of the baseball stadium at some point. Probably. Uh, I, I mentioned that in the press box yesterday, and I won't say who said it, but they said you know one team's made a College World Series appearance and money comes. Well, <laughs> that's true. Very very true. They got some donations for that, but um. Um, Jeff Bourne has also said like that he feels he feels like baseball is the one place where they're behind some of their Sunbelt rivals in in facilities. And, you know, so I'm thinking there's probably work being done on trying to get some fundraising for for baseball as well. Um, But we'll see how long that ends up taking a team that shouldn't have much trouble raising funds, generating interest right now is the women's basketball team, which we, you know, hit on to start with, but they are now back in Harrisonburg, I think doing some light practicing Same as they reason. wait, as they wait to find out which team they're going to prepare for um, next week. The selection show on Sunday, um, we have some ideas about who they might play based on, you know, bracketology where we think they're going to be seated. And the fact that on the women's side, they'll do their best to keep it regional. Um, you know, we think they could possibly play Villanova, maybe a Duke, a UNC, uh, depending on where they're seated. I know Noah and I, I think, are pretty much in agreement. We think they're probably a 13. Um, I think they could go they potentially could one, way or the, one way or the other. Um, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they were 14. I'd be a little more surprised if they were 12, but they could be a 12. Um, the difference between a 13 and a 12 geographically probably doesn't – make much if they're trying to keep it regional they can send them to the same location whether they're 13 or 12 um which decent chance that's philadelphia to play in the villanova bracket um or north carolina yeah yeah there there's there's different possibilities whether or not they'd want to set up a rematch um in the first round with teams that have already played this season being out of conference i don't know if that's going to make a huge difference uh but they might avoid that if it's possible if they can keep it fair for everybody else but you you start looking at potential matchups and not only has jmu made the ncaa tournament for the first time in seven years you kind of start wondering okay are they capable of winning a game and you know sticking around for a little bit and really kind of starting to generate generate excitement and also like announce that the program's back to what the expectations levels were, you know, you can talk about, you know, during the Kenny Brooks era, but really for the past 20 years or more, making the NCAA tournament and potentially winning a game and being a a top 30-ish, top 40-ish type program has been what, you know, Jamie has proven they can do, that they can do in the modern women's basketball era. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously, you know, possible for them to win a game, especially if they get a Villanova or North Carolina. Two teams they've played recently. I mean, North Villanova they played last year. North Carolina, you know, I watched them play that game this year, and they led for most of the game. And then, you know, mm-hmm. they ended up making a few mistakes in the fourth quarter. And, you know, when you play a good team, they're going to take advantage. That's what North Carolina did and was able to, you know, pull away with free throws at the end. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's definitely both winnable, favorable matchups if you get a Villanova or, a, you know, UNC. Villanova. You know, led by the former Drexel coach. You know, I think you know Sean O'Regan knows that system pretty well, and 
Um, so that that's favorable. And if you get North Carolina, you've seen them once. You've got a lot of film already, and you can uh, you can roll. Obviously, they're playing a lot better now than they were at the beginning of the year. I think you know mm-hmm. if Peyton McDaniel goes seven or seven three again, I think um, there's pretty good odds they win the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whether or not she can do that is um, that's the question. Is a question, but I mean, I think you'd probably take you would take three for four you'd from take, Kiki Jefferson and and then two and, for and, and five. You know, yeah, and you know, yeah, you take five for ten from. Peyton McDaniel, yeah. like on any day, um, and <clears throat> and Sean Regan will let her continue to let it fly if you know she's hitting like that. Even if she's not, he, he's good he's, with her. He's letting her shoot. shoot. Um, so yeah, you just look at what they did down in Pensacola in the tournament. Just just felt like they were building and building and towards peaking at the right time and played probably their best game of the season against the number two seed. Texas State just mopped the floor with them. Yeah. Thirty point win was never really in doubt from the beginning. They were even. He got it, tied at one point. It, it was an odd game in that they started out shooting like less than twenty percent inside the two point arc, but they were hitting so many threes they were still leading. Um, uh, Susha Kozlova, we've talked about how good she is and you know what a weapon she was was to add to this. To this lineup, um, a player with those kinds of post moves, she was just not finishing anything. She ended up close to a double double, like nine points, ten rebounds. Yeah. Um, but she was pulling down offensive rebounds left and right, and just couldn't couldn't finish the putbacks. Um, was you know making nice turnaround moves and just seeing them roll off the rim. They won by thirty. They could have won by forty if they were like just converting in the post the way they typically do. It was. It, it was really a, uh, a dominating performance. The kind you don't expect to see when the top two seeds in the tournament end up meeting in a championship game. No, for sure. And I think, you know, that just shows Jamie's strength. They're clicking at the right time. And I think that's right. You want to peak in, in March, and that's what they're doing. And I think it really proves it. And I think that that performance helps them seeding-wise in the NCAA tournament, showing that there's no doubt that they are an NCAA tournament team. Just because they beat Texas State, who they played a really close game with in, in San Marcos, Earlier in the year, they go back and, you know, on a neutral floor down in Florida, take care of business. And I think, you know, the tournament committee will look at that and say, well, I think this is a, really a 13 or maybe a 12. Uh, I think 11 is out of the picture. But I think 13 or 12 is kind of where they're going to put them. If they had squeaked it out, maybe they're 14, probably a 14. But I think, you know, playing that well kind of helps them. Yeah, and they they certainly were playing well. You, you can um, go back and look at the, just the defensive and rebounding effort uh, in the first two games. Kind of showed that they were locked in, and not that I was expecting a thirty-point game, but you kind of like felt like okay, if they start hitting some shots at a high rate, if they get really hot offensively to go with playing this well defensively, they could win pretty comfortably. Um, you know, I it, 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 just a sense like the entire week was that they were the best team there. Yeah, as you watched all of them play, <clears throat> even as you know, a Texas State handled the other co-regular season champion, Southern Miss, Texas State handled them pretty easily. Um, they obviously did not shoot as well then the next day, but um, they'd been pr- pretty impressive on the defensive end and rebounding and everything going into that game. But it still just didn't really match up to what JMU had done against Marshall, ODU. Defensively really just took those two teams out of anything they wanted to do. And they, and they were cleaning up on the boards something that they did even better 
on Monday in the championship game. Like just the offensive rebounding was was a spectacle. Even though they weren't getting the second chance points, they were just like pulling down every offensive rebound. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, I think if you're Sean O'Regan, you like to see that. Obviously, um, you know, rebounding as a whole it has you know at some points you know hurt them a little bit, but <laughs> on Monday they, they definitely didn't have mm-hmm. any problems there. I think that if you keep that trend rolling in the tournament, it makes a really dangerous team if you can you know get second and third opportunities and. Especially this time, I think you you got to cash in in the tournament. Yeah, um, you know, but it's a good start. Yeah, I mean, we talked about you know Susha Kozlova. She's had times where, for her size and her, she can move for being six four. Sometimes you know a six four uh, woman just you know doesn't have much mobility. She does, and probably maybe like the biggest knock on her would be that like she's not a double-double machine pulling down 10 rebounds a game, you know, averaging, you know, eight rebounds. (laughs) Um, But she was really locked in in that regard of her game in a championship. And I think they're going to need that out of her. Like, not just, you know, for whoever they play in the NCAA tournament, but that's probably what they want to see out of her next season where, you know, Peyton McDaniel will definitely be back. It's kind of up in the air whether Kiki Jefferson will be back. So they they know they have that offensive force on the perimeter, and you know Kobe Kingaway can also kind of develop into like a a big time scorer. But in some ways, Susha Kozlova is going to be kind of like the the most established offensive weapon coming back. You know, especially in the paint. And if she could get to the point where she is like a near double double average, I think that would be huge for the program moving forward. It is. I think, you know, she's already got that offensive move. She, you know, they go to her pretty often, and she can finish a lot of the times at the rim. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, playing down more rebounds is kind of the next step. But I think right now they're they're happy with what they got from her. Yeah. They can develop her even more and, you know, keep it moving. But right now she's she's done well, especially in the defensive end. She, she does pretty well down there too. Yeah, so definitely looking forward to seeing um, where they end up. We'll find out Sunday night what's yep. happening in the NCAA tournament with them. The Jamie men uh, also find out probably sometime Sunday night if their season is, in fact, over. Um, they're only waiting to find out if they get an NIT bid, which seems like a long shot at this point. Um, Could happen if enough happen. people say no. Yeah, if t- say no, you know, it would help them out if, like, a you know, if a North Carolina decided they didn't want to play in the NIT. Um, as, we, as we record this um, on Friday afternoon, there are – I think at least six bubble teams playing in their conference tournament um, right now or, or will play at some point today on Friday. If you're JMU and you would like to see the Dukes play in the NIT, you'd like to see all six of those bubble teams win and probably get themselves into the, um, yeah. <laughs> into the NCAA the tournament because, um, you know, they're not on the NIT bubble <laughs> like yeah. JMU. Is. So, you know, a Utah State or, um, you know, even a Clemson. A Clemson. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of those games. There's like at least six of them where if the bubble team won today, their NCAA tournament odds go up dramatically. Yep. But if they lose, they're probably knocking JMU out of the NIT contention. Um, so it, it would be fun to see the uh, Jamie men play one more game, at least one more game, I think, um, this group. Uh, you look at Vado Morse, Alonzo Sule, Mezzi Offerman, Takal Molson. Will not be back next year. Um, guys that gave a lot to JMU in their short short time after transferring in, but they're grad transfers. They're they're done. I mean, 
for Votto, not even that short of a time. He he you know had yeah. enough, enough time over three seasons to score a thousand points in a JMU uniform. Um, and really, I think when people look back on his time at JMU and how rare it was to have consecutive winning seasons to win twenty two games, and for him to be, you know, one of the main guys on three teams in a row that were successful when it comes to like what JMU's standard has been over the last 25 years. Um, people probably appreciate, you know, what he did more with as time goes. Um, and maybe if the program continues to continues on the right track, you might look at some of these guys who helped establish a better culture than what was here um, just a few years ago. But whether or not they get to play another game in a JMU uniform is still somewhat up in the air. It's not looking likely, but because they're not going to play in the CBI or the Basketball Classic or one of those third-tier tournaments. Um, so probably, you know, in the coming weeks, we can start talking about some transfer portal stuff, like where they go from there. I would imagine uh, Mark Byington would like to add probably at least one experienced, proven big guy. Probably. To kind of, you know, fill in maybe two because you're replacing both Mezzi Offerman and uh, and Alonzo Sule. Um, you, you may give more minutes to a Jarrell Roberson next season or, you know, possibly a Jalen Carey coming in as a true freshman, has great size, um, is developing some skills. Maybe he's a guy who can give you some minutes right away. But it's been tough for freshmen to crack the rotation under Byington outside of his first year in in Harrisonburg. So I would think they're probably going to try to add some uh, some experienced players, probably at least one experienced guard, at least one experienced big mm-hmm. in the transfer portal, which is heating up already as, as some teams. We shall see. Seems heavy. I haven't checked it in like a, roughly an hour or so. There's probably 100 <laughs> but, names in there. Yeah. Well, there was like 130-some yesterday. But, <laughs> um, yeah. But – That'll be the topic of conversation. Spring football will be coming up. Got a couple weeks. Yeah. Continue to talk about baseball, softball, lacrosse uh, throughout the spring here on the Purple and Bold podcast. And we'll certainly have more to say about the Jamie women's basketball team um, when we get together to do this sometime next week. Um, or, you know, maybe we could, I think the, uh, the special edition ones that I did on location in Pensacola <laughs> – Went pretty well, so maybe you know if we're special uh, edition, yeah, do one from an NCAA tournament location too with the JMU women. But we'll we'll certainly be talking about that team some more here in the next week or two. Uh, But for now, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. This has been another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. Been here with Noah Fleischman talking JMU sports, and thank you for listening.